Welcome back to the Knit British Podcast, the podcast that explores all the connections of Britishness in wool, fibre and knitting. On this journey, meeting all of the people involved from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Knit British, love local wool. Hello and welcome in to the first episode of 2018 and our 100th episode. Here's a little blast from the past. Welcome to the podcast from Knit British, episode one. Hello, my name's Louise and welcome in. Thank you for joining me on what I hope will be the start of a new adventure for me and my blog. For those of you who don't know me, I have a blog at knitbritish.net and last year I decided that I was only going to knit in wool that had been sourced, grown, spun or dyed in the UK. You can read a bit more about why I'm on my blog but they're really the idea sort of sprang forward fully formed one day and I really just grabbed it with both hands and and went with it. Uh, I was the kind of person who before this didn't really take time to realise where the yarn came from that she knitted with and then I realised when I started Knit British the absolute wealth of resources we have for knitting wool in our own country. It's a no-brainer really. On today's show there will be more little blasts from the past with some of your favourite moments from the last 99 episodes. We're also looking at our first month of wool exploration with with the North Royalty Wool. So there's a lot of great reviews to come later in the show. And there's some giveaways too. I hope you have grabbed a whip and I hope you have grabbed a drink. I have, probably for the first time in ages, an alcoholic beverage on the show. It's a cheeky little Rioja Crianza and I'm charging it to each and every one of you who listens to the podcast, who reads the blog, who dips in a night when the fancy takes them, who's maybe just listened once, who lurks in the group, every single one of you, thank you so much because it's all down to you, your enthusiasm and your encouragement that's kept me doing 100 episodes. So cheers to you. So I opened the show there with a little clip from the first episode back four years ago. Four years ago, my goodness me. And I did ask on social media the other week if you wanted to hear some of your favourite bits from the last 99 episodes. And there are some things that I had even forgotten about (laughs) that you wanted to hear. Julia, Alex and Claire all nominated a good rant. And it was hard to choose just one, you know. When I first started doing the podcast, I never intended 
to have ranty moments. But there have been a few, and <laughs> here are just a couple. I don't usually knit for... Well, <laughs> this makes me sound really horrible um, if I say that I don't normally knit for other people. But you know what it's like when somebody comes along with something and says, this is really nice, could you knit it for me? Usually I say, here's a pair of needles. I'll get, show you the basics, you can knit it yourself. Because it's like, you know me saying to someone who's really good at painting, um, I really like this landscape, paint it for me. Just just take time out of your day to paint for you. All you do is sit and paint, paint it for me. And I know that people aren't all thinking all she does is sit and knit because my goodness, sometimes I don't even have time for that. But you know what it's like. You knitters know know what I mean, how that difficult that is sometimes when when But you oh she knits, she likes to knit. She'll surely she'll knit this for us. But life is too short. <laughs> but it's even shorter when you're asked to knit something for somebody and it's off and you don't like it and you don't have a connection with it. So anyway, where was I? I've lost the plot now. <laughs> Since my last episode where I gave a bit of a mention, bit of a shout out, not a huge section, praising the pussy hat and what an incredible piece of knitwear that has been in uniting people in positivity. And that prompted quite a few comments and emails and most of which I haven't replied to, one of which I did publish on the blog, but mostly I haven't published them because of language or vitriol or both. Let's get one thing clear here. I haven't mentioned the name of that crackpot president. That's my opinion. I haven't mentioned the US election in any great form. What I've talked about is world-changing election results. Only chosen to focus on the positive things. Positive things that craft can help with. Positive things that craft can do in dark times. And while I do not aim to bring politics into this podcast and I don't want to talk about the US president and as I said to one commenter this is my podcast I choose the content my views are my own and you can choose not to listen and if you really truly don't choose to focus on positivity if you really can't just agree to disagree in listening to this podcast, which is largely about knitting and wool, then just tune out because it's not worth the obvious pain and anguish you feel on the subject. And it's certainly not worth me repeating this every episode. When I record this podcast, it's primarily about knitting and wool, as most of you may know. And huge apologies to anyone who's coming to the podcast for the first time today and has to listen to this. Pretty much don't care what your political views are. Don't care if you're black or white. Don't care if you're a man or a woman. It's not what I think about when I record this podcast. What I think about is, isn't it fantastic that Craft has this amazing community? And isn't it fantastic that knitting and craft is our life raft? That it sails us through the dark times in our lives and it gets us through some sticky situations as well as being a nice hobby and as well as being something that can be politicised too. At the moment the world is changing and at this very precise moment it's really not looking hot. Things aren't so good. 
changes have been made that maybe aren't for the better, but who am I to say? But we have to cling to the positive, and that is what I aim to do here. So please, please tune out if you feel that you don't want to cling to the positive. I'll miss you, but your anger is misplaced. So feel free to come back when you can play nice. End of important message. I'm not sure if I got through that without swearing. That uh, life is too short to say that things you do not like was from episode 15. And I suppose that um, has springboarded onto further rants on knitworthiness, uh, on value, on the value of your time and things like that, which have been big themes, uh, particularly in the last year here, haven't they? Uh, And of course, the post-presidential election rant, which really wasn't post-presidential election rant, as you heard. Um, Not one to shy away from confrontation, (laughs) especially when it's my fucking podcast. There you go. Two minutes in and they're swearing already. Isla wanted to hear a bit from my first interview with Carrie Westerman. And I've interviewed Carrie a few times on the podcast. The first time was back in uh, episode 18. Of course, knitting a yellow cardigan this year we should probably explain this to the listeners yes we probably should that the fact that probably for most of the time that we've known each other on twitter we've both been harboring the need for the perfect yellow cardigan and i thought i'd find mine with the ramona cardigan Mm -hmm. by elizabeth smith but actually i have seen another one really uh, but yes i knit mine in a really fabulous sunshiny rennie's lovely and it's, it's still one of my most favourite, favourite. Um, and dear listeners, I've not knitted a yellow card yet. <laughs> but you have had so many good suggestions, though. Yes. And one day I will. <laughs> you, you sort of wavered and thought you might actually, what you might need first was the perfect navy cardigan. Yes. I should say that in 2013, I needed the Stevie cardigan by Sarah, Sarah Hatton. And it's my most worn item ever. And I really, really began appreciating the value of a good navy cardigan. So, and now I wear it, I've actually worn it to death pretty much. So I need to knit myself another uh, navy cardigan. But I've reached yeah. the point where I sort of, I probably need to design myself a, a navy cardigan. <laughs> and then I can think about designing myself a yellow cardigan. But... I've got the yarn. <laughs> of course I've got the yarn. It's just the pattern. It's always one or the other. You either have the yarn or you have the and pattern. And knitting time. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, yes. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Some extra knitting time. Uh, another time that I interviewed Carrie was actually in the podcast lounge at Edinburgh Yarn Festival in 2015. And that actually is one of my favourite interviews. Uh, it was the first time that I did an interview in front of a group of people um, and it was the only time that we've done it in a setting like that and I would really love to do that again. Um, it was really good fun and um, <laughs> in that interview, you know, we opened up questions to the audience and uh, one of them, uh, I, I always sort of, um, you know, gleefully poke Carrie about now because as you know Carrie has just released her incredible book This Thing of Paper 
I backed um, her crowdfunder, but I didn't want to open the envelope uh, that the book came in until Christmas Day because I felt it was such a, such a special gift and it was such a special book and it was a real gift to myself. It's it's an incredible book. Um, I will talk about it uh, on another podcast, uh, but I feel that the that that. Um, whole thing has slightly had its foundations uh, at Edinburgh Yarn Festival and in that interview because just prior to this clip that you're going to hear, Carrie was talking about two projects that she was working on. One was the authors and artists and something else that was a bit longer term and she wasn't going to be drawn too much on it and um, she didn't really know how to explain it well. Um, but just listen to this first um question back then in episode 27 does anybody have any questions for Cari? just i mean i like tangible books rather than necessarily ebooks would you consider producing the next one as a, as a sort of a crowdfunded book you know what that never occurred to me that never occurred to me i'm i'm very good at having lots of creative ideas and then the practicalities are sort of second nature so sort of, you know something i just think about after the fact i never thought about crowdfunding that's interesting. That's actually a good idea. Yes. People would like the physical. Yes. And and I'm quite. I can, okay. I can say as much about the second instalment that is is going to be about materiality as well, and and the physicality of of of, of items. So yeah. Mm. Which is quite again. I'll I'll try to work out a way to describe. <laughs> yes. So there you see. That Meg, Meg Roper, Mrs. M's Curiosity Cabinet, you know, she has some cracking ideas because not only did she suggest the crowdfunding thing there, she was also the one who planted the seed about the Wooly Muckers uh, listener sponsorships that we did last year. So very, very clever woman. Also has a wonderful podcast herself if you've not listened to it before. Of course... Someone else asked a question uh, about Q&A, which often comes back. Um, <laughs> I, get, I often get asked about. And that was Leona from Fluff. Does anybody else have any questions for Carrie? Anybody down at the bottom? Leona? It's Leona. Leona's put her hands over her mouth. She's got a good question. I better go. Hang on a wee minute. Do you have one? Karina, will you come live in my basement, please? <laughs> Oh, I enjoyed that so much. I really did enjoy doing that, um, interviewing in a, a sort of public forum. Um, I'm available to do that kind of thing if, you, if you're if you looking for an, for someone for your public event. <laughs> uh, Lisa Jane, Lynn, Josh and Liz all enjoyed my chat with Felix Ford after Edinburgh Yarn Festival 2016, where we'd sat around my table drinking coffee and just sort of unpacking how incredible the weekend had been. Oh, I'd go for more coffee, would be amazing. Adequately caffeinated. I know. Well, what 
was your standout moment? Oh, my standout moment. That's really tricky. I think my standout moment was in one of my classes. Well, there were there were standout moments in all classes, but I became aware at this festival that there is a particular noise of people getting very excited about an idea, and this kind of like a ooh, <laughs> like a, it's like a little ooh, and it, it goes with like trembling hands and uh, and and little smiles and picking up pens and like yeah. hurriedly scribbling things and it's like this frisson of excitement and um and also then very quick rushed whispery speaking about oh i could knit this i could i could knit something based on this painting i could knit something based on my house and then that's my favorite sound when i'm doing the knit sonic classes and we're looking at translating everyday inspirations into stranded color work and there were just there were a few moments like that and I had one class that was so, there was so much excitement. Um, I just, I thought I was going to cry. I was so happy. Oh, <laughs> so happy. I wish you'd heard the sound on the Friday in the, in the Baron, which is where the podcast lounge was, where the breakout area was, where the pop-up market was, um, of this sort of, I think because it was a Friday and I think people were like, ooh, we're off work. We're, got, we're off work to do woolly things. And there was this sort of like <laughs> of people just getting getting excited about the Yarn Festival, and it was just this real sort of like like rampant excitement. It was like a real vibration, and I wished I'd rec- I'd taken it to record to record it because it was lovely. And I did think Felix would kind of love this kind of <laughs> of um, just people like getting getting their bags out. Yeah, you know, just that kind of loveliness. The excitement of yeah. all the knitters, collective yeah. excitement. I think my favourite bit, just of the whole whole weekend, is just how sociable the whole festival is. I do think the Edinburgh Yarn Festival understands the way it's set up. Really, there's a, and maybe it's because of the relationship that Joe and Mika share. I don't know them yeah. very well, but my sense is that they have a very amazing friendship that's also a working friendship which is how many people in this industry are operating you know we're friends but we work together as well and I just think that there's a real understanding of how much knitters want to meet each other and make friendships and also just like you know yourself from having a podcast and a blog there are friends that you've made online that you haven't met in real life and at the Edinburgh Yarn Festival there is an opportunity to to fix that you know and I think there is a lot of space for friendship and socialising and for making your internet friends into your real friends and getting a beer together and doing a Kaylee together and it's just really I agree with you it's very sociable yeah it's such a strong emotional thing I think as well that you know, you can go away, even if you just attended the one day, you know, you can you can go away with this real feeling of being part of something that's much bigger. And it's not just people, the visitors who are there, it's a community of teachers, it's a community of vendors and makers and designers and you feel, you feel part of something. 
Amy wanted to hear uh, a little bit of my chat with the knitting goddess, Joy McMillan. It's always lovely to chat with Joy. I always feel super, super inspired um, when I uh, have her on the programme or, you know, we've got one of her yarns to review and talk about. She's uh, a very talented lady and uh, she's always a joy to chat with. And we managed to buy a very lovely house, which, well, it had a beautiful view, but it had no kitchen. But the view was really lovely. <laughs> did you miss that bit in the tour? No. Had no we, we, <laughs> you we, just were swayed by the view. We did kind of know, but you, we kind of knew in the way that, oh, it needs a kitchen and that's fine, we'll get that sorted. Rather than it needs a kitchen and in 18 months time, the, the builder will be putting the, the oven in on Christmas Eve so I can make a Christmas cake. <laughs> Well, we we sort of jokingly said that in the house we bought that had no kitchen, we, you know, it wasn't I died in the kitchen, we cooked in my dye room. <laughs> because literally the kitchen was the, the things I used for heating my dye baths on. It's sort of five o'clock, I would stop dying and we would start thinking, right, what one pot dinner can we concoct right? <laughs> so definitely the studio was the way to go. <laughs> Shona and also Claire wanted to hear a little bit from my episode where I talked to Gary Jimison of Jimison's of Shetland and uh, Shona nominated uh, the clip you're going to hear right now about the wall of wool. I love the the <laughs> wall of wool. At anybody Iron Festival, quite a few folk had said to me, "Have you been? Have you been in yet? Have you been?" But there's a wall of wool. And when I came in the other day, I was like, "Whoa, it's just lovely." I suppose you had it all on show before. It was difficult to display. Yeah, yeah, because of the. I mean, the old square pigeonhole on the yeah. head was designed to tack heads of wool, because that's how it was sold then. Yeah. It was heads of wool um, and hanks and skeins. Um, and fewer colours. Yeah, and a lot fewer colours. Mm -hmm. And fewer yarn weights. I mean, we never had double knit. Hmm. I mean, double knit was something that only came in 10, 15 years ago for worse, worse sales. Um, and I mean, pigeonhole would have needed completely remade. And of course, when we moved to Baz, then they all used to rumble at the pigeonholes. <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> but there, I mean, there was 50 colours of double knit and we didn't have out. There was probably 10 colours or less we couldn't keep out. Mm -hmm. There was none of the. Chunky was out, the, the, the model at all. We just had that up the stairs and there was the heather was out. <laughs> so, I mean, that's 48 different colours that we didn't have. Um, and y people are coming in going, oh my goodness, have you got all these new lace colours? Like, no, <laughs> because there was nowhere else to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so no. it, is made a, it is made a big difference. And yeah. I mean, bars are really hard to display yeah. because they roll around. They're they really do. hard to get out of. And it was actually my mother that came up with this idea. She was... She couldn't sleep one night, and we're, we'd been discussing how we would display this stuff. And uh, at about three o'clock in the morning, she rose and she got through to the kitchen. She got a pan, <laughs> and she stood there and she packed some bars in this pan. And the next day, she came to the mill, <laughs> brandishing a pan full of bars of wool, and said, "Sent me a bottle." <laughs> <laughs> we, we could, we could, if we could get rune things to keep it in, you see, and hence the and then, plastic circles. Yeah. And they're brilliant, and they're clear, and it adds mm -hmm. to the light hole, light of the place. Yeah. And it's, an it's an excellent idea. A great idea, and it seems to have really worked. Yeah. And it also, God knows how, but we managed to fit it all on the wine wow. Yeah. We, so yeah. we're not allowed to change for shade kit ever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
it's somehow and completely flukily it fits perfectly, yeah. which should not have happened. Bold. It really does. But it did. Yeah, it's it's and it's very beckoning. Mm. It's very beckoning. Yeah. And I think I think when uh, when uh, Will comes and you get all that, they're going to go mental. They're going to go mental. Mm. They be, went mental before. You will be doing more living your shots. <laughs> and we also moved the Kunta out the floor a bit yeah. to try and let Fock to get in well because it does make it a bit easier. No, I think it was almost like they were segregated for the yard, whereas now it's like please come in. Come in. Have a dig. Yeah. 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 It was really lovely to go and speak to Gary and also Lizzie Simmons, who uh, works at Jimson's of Shetland. It's one of those occasions where I can't help but let my Shetland dialect come to the fore. It's a really strange thing, and I think I said it in that episode, that my I don't consciously not talk in a Shetland dialect. It's But when you're talking to another Shetland person, as I'm sure anyone with a regional upbringing and dialect has, there's just something that happens. There's something that just, the tongue slips, there's a shift, and you start speaking in your, your imbrogue. <laughs> um, I was really nervous about, about that interview as well, because there's always, you know, a little bit of um, sort of nervous excitement when you're going to interview somebody that probably knows your mom and uh, <laughs> and is very connected to where you come from but it was a joy and it's such a well listened to episode and it's one that lots of you have told me that you listen to again and again so thanks to Shona and Claire for for nominating that one Pam wanted to hear a bit of the U.S. rule episode, um, and that was really that's really hard to pick anything from. Again, it it was an absolute and utter joy to be able to go to U.S. and it's been another one of my personal favourite episodes of all time. Um, I love getting to go to places where I can. I can talk to people on the job and on that trip I got to see the sheep and see the wool that those sheep made and see that into yarn and and to speak to the incredible people who work at US Wool and their vision. It, it's, it's just, it will definitely remain one of my favourites and uh, this bit from my chat with Dana is something that lots of you comment on and say that you really enjoy. So we'll have the clip where, where Dana wants us to sign a contract and be, be careful with the yarn. <laughs> it's a complex financial pattern that's got us to this point in time. But now it gives me great joy when people come in and, and are buying and I'm going, I'm actually we're actually trading now, you know? <laughs> and we've made that transition from a training and a setup and a development where we couldn't really sell anything and it was all test yarn and stuff. And now being in a position to say, absolutely, we're open and happy and we're sharing it and we can buy it and things that are updated regularly and we've got a new yarn coming through and you're seeing it beginning to sort of settle into a a kind of, this is what I had in mind, you know, and it still surprises me and it's just, I I see, I still smile a little bit you know when even just one person is buying a skein of yarn and I know what's going to create that that 100 gram skein that they're walking out with I know what's going to create that from nothing and I'm handing it to them and it's like I'm almost pulling it back a little bit and that sounds terrible now be, be careful with it now take good care of it you know it's like you're letting it go to survive <laughs> in the world I know <laughs> be good with it now don't don't be harsh and 
you know, don't, don't mistreat it, and, you, know. <laughs> you know, and it's almost like you're sending a child away yes. to school the first that's time. Not, so. That's an amazing um, thing. So it does. You do. You have. Yeah. You've taken it personally because, mm-hmm. as I say, you know what's going into it. And, and I'm sure you go to any other mill, and people I know who's been very kind to share their experience and knowledge in the industry throughout the UK. Um, I've, I find that a, a complete open door wherever ah. I've gone in the development stage, that people were more than happy to talk about it. And you know, they weren't sceptical at all about what we were doing. They were very interested in what we were doing. And so I, I and I felt that atmosphere, especially in the Edinburgh Yarn Festival, where we were beside big names, people I'd kind of known and respected from a distance for a number of years, and they were just so open and kind of encouraging to us. And I didn't feel comp- competitive. No. It wasn't that sort of. It was a professional respect. I thought was there that I I just thought that was a, a really nice atmosphere, mm-hmm. and and that's the way I would treat everybody yeah. who's in the industry in the UK is that they're all doing something different and I admire other people's styles of wool and what they're doing with it. We're all doing something different. That was, that was lovely, wasn't it? <laughs> also, Pam said she really enjoyed my interview with Leona in Fluff uh, from episode 56. And one of the most wonderful things about doing what I do is going to spend time with like-minded people and... Leona and I are very like-minded on lots of lots of things and she's just a stonking person and I think I said in that episode and then in the show notes you will never meet anyone so genuine and with such an open and honest outlook on everything and she's just a fantastic person. Here's a little bit of that interview and here's a little bit of that humour and that honesty. I love you LJ. I really wanted to work in the prisons. Um, I came down to study forensic psychobiology at Aberté. Um, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and um, I wanted to work in the prisons with the absolute worst murderers you could think of. That's what I really... And I don't know why I've never watched an episode of CSI before <laughs> I moved to Dundee. Mm. And then woo. And then woo, yeah. So I did my um, degree at Aberté. Uh, it turns out I was... I can't swear, so I was terrible um, at uni. Um, it wasn't the environment for me. I My granddad died in just the end of my first year, and that kind of threw me into a downward spiral into what we now know was depression. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where the notion to start knitting came from, but I started knitting. I taught myself to knit. My mum taught me how to crochet. It was kind of a coping mechanism. Again, now I understand that it was anxiety I was dealing with as well. Going out into public spaces, into uni lectures where there was a lot of people, um, was really stressful. There is definitely ties with woolen knitting and mental health. Yeah. But the impetus for starting opening a yarn shop. Well, so that came a little bit later. So um, I finished my degree I um, and I was kind of a bit lost. I was just a bit like, oh, I don't know what to do. Thingy. I'd started sewing as well as knitting and everything um, and a friend had said well why don't you go to Dundee College they've got an NQ course in uh, textiles and interiors you know apply for it see that would be give you another year to think about it and I was like okay so I applied and I got a place and I loved it I loved college so much um, I got to got to play with yarn I got to play with textiles I got to play with dye which I love doing and it, just the environment was great and then 
the depression kind of took a slip about halfway through my NQ and I wasn't going to classes again and one of my tutors who was awesome Susan she kind of phoned me up and went look you need to come in we need to have a chat so I went in and at that point my dad <laughs> there's a lot of things going on but my dad was going through his cancer treatment um which he's fine he's all good <laughs> um, but it was a really long long road and I think that had what knocked it down and she's like look what do you want to do and I stupidly went open a yarn shop <laughs> not to shut her up but just to have something to say because I was like yeah that's a good idea and then the more that it went on the more it was like do you know what actually I could probably do that and then five years later here we are thank you so much for your suggestions do you know it was a big job to find snippets uh, and it, but it was really enjoyable to go back and listen to some of these episodes because I don't do that you know I don't don't go back and listen to it. I record it, I edit it, and that's it. You know, I, I listen to it to make sure that it sounds okay, but that's it. I don't ever really go back. So thank you to all those people for giving me the opportunity to do that, even though it was really difficult not to play you the entire thing from for each pick. Before I go on to talk about our wool exploration, I must remind you that Saturday the 13th of January, tomorrow as this goes out, it is the cast-on date for the Blacker Podcal. Now, if you haven't heard about this before, this is the knit-along or crochet-along that I host with Blacker in the run-up to Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Now, you don't have to be coming to Edinburgh Yarn Festival to take part, but this is a lovely way to sort of see through the time uh, that we're all sort of getting excited about Edinburgh Yarn Festival. And even those of you who can't come but would love to come taking part in this cal is just a nice way of 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 joining in and feeling part of it so as i say the cast on date is saturday the 13th of january the cast off date is sunday the 11th of march so that gives you a good five days to four days five days four days um to sort of get your finished item washed and blocked uh, ahead of Edinburgh Yarn Festival you can knit or crochet absolutely any design or weave if you so wish any design that you like but you must use a yarn from the blacker range that's the only rule really in the cast cast on and cast off date um, it's open to everyone as I've said whether you can come to Edinburgh Yarn Festival or not there is a thread in the Blacker Ravelry group and I opened that just before Christmas. So you can get in there, you can chat about which pattern choices and which yarn choices you, you're using and post pictures of your whips because we want to see that. Um, there will be a Blacker discount code as a prize at the end of the cal and it would be great if you tag your projects Blacker Podcal on Ravelry and hashtag Blacker Podcal on social media. There is already quite a bit of chatter in the Blacker Podcal thread over in the Blacker Yarns group, let me tell you. Um, African Daffodil, Catherine, she is going to be using uh, some incredible green Cornish tin to make, I think it's Elbelind pattern, which uh, is in Pom Pom magazine. And No Butterfly is using some mohair blends uh, to make a crazy heart. 
Um, and she's going to be using Gotland in that as well as the mohair blends. Crazy Heart is a pattern uh, in the Tin Can Knits Heart in Your Sleeve ebook. Uh, it's by uh, Tannis Lavely, I think. Katie Beth has an incredible sweater quantity of uh, Blacker Classic DK, which is going to use for an Angostura sweater. And Tweed LD has got some uh, incredible brushwork for a Beaumont sweater. Um, who else is in here? Let's have a little look. They is going to uh, make a Coleridge using s uh, Samite. Ooh, Samite. I have a skein of that too. Ooh. Little Bush Baby is also using brushwork. She's going to make the sycamore vest for her mum. Uh, quite a few people are going to be knitting Carrie Westerman's Incunabula cardigan from the new book this thing of paper in blacker classic uh, and carrie's having a this thing of paper knit along as well so i think there's going to be a fair few double dippers i am going to be knitting uh carrie westerman again oh she's a hot name on this podcast uh i'm going to be knitting her mahi shawl very brave of me. I'm going to be knitting lace weight and I'm using Blacker's BFL lace weight in shawl, which is an incredible teal. And I bought that um, yarn for that pattern at Woolfest this year. So it's actually going to be my Good Intentions quarter two project as well. If you're not sure what the Good Intentions Club is, go on over to knitbritish.net uh, and find a blog post about that. That is the yarn and pattern club where you already have the yarn and pattern so yeah i'm double i'm doing a bit of double dipping although it's been quite difficult not to cast on on the first of january um which is the cast on for the good intentions uh because i've been wanting to wait until uh, the cast on for the blacker podcast oh so much good work going on here blue wool has got an incredible haul of a discontinued yarn um, from Blacker, which is a Jacob Mohair. And it looks amazing, absolutely amazing. And she started swatching um, for a jacket that she's going to make in that. And yeah, there's there's lots of great chats. So it doesn't matter if you've, you're just hearing about this now. You don't have to sign up or anything. You just go on over to the Blacker Yarns group on Ravelry, jump in that thread and say, hey, this is what I'm making in Blacker Yarns for the Edinburgh Yarn Festival, Blacker Podcal. I can't wait to see what you are making. And if you're coming to Edinburgh Yarn Festival, we'll have to en en enable a meetup again and hopefully get some uh, pictures in the photo booth like we did uh, last year. I reckon most of my listeners out there have at least one ball of blacker yarns in their stash. I'm sure of it because I've said on many occasions, just jump over to, if you've never tried British wool before, just jump on over to blacker and buy a ball and try it out. So if that is you, if you're putting your hand up and going, yeah, that's me, and you haven't knit with it, get on over to your stash, pull out that one lonely ball of blacker, I'm quite sure that you've got more than one ball. And make something, a one skein project or a sweater quantity, whatever. Join in. It's a nice big long cal. As I say, the cast off is the 11th of March. Who knows how many things you might get finished in that time. Have you checked out edinyarnfest.com recently? Our whole lineup of podcasters have been announced. As you will remember... 
I mentioned a few good few episodes ago. Oh my goodness, we're back in October now, I think it was. Was it October? November? October? That um, there are a small amount of media passes for podcasters at the Podcast Lounge. And the Edinburgh Yarn Festival just uh, announced those podcasters this week. So joining me in the podcast lounge will be uh, Christy Glass Knits, Mrs. M's Curiosity Cabinet, Yarngasm, Stranded Podcast, Lena Knits, Helen Stewart, Tipsy Knits, Selma Knits, Fiber Trek, TJ Frog, Yarn in the City, Arctic Knitting Podcast, Hannah on the Road, Julie Knits in Paris, the Corner of Craft, NH Knits, Frostbite, Fluffy Fibres, Caithness Craft, Little Yellow Uke, East London Knits, The Grocery Girls, Skandier Knits, Lou Lee, Keep Calm and Carry Yarn, The Sockmetician, Hawthorne Cottage Craft, Ninja Chickens, Knitography, Espastrico and Camabornia. So I know that there are lots of those podcasters that you've heard of and I know that there are podcasters and vloggers there who are new to you. So get on over to edinyarnfest.com and select the Podcast Lounge 2018 and meet the Edinburgh Yarn Festival podcasters. Of course, it doesn't matter if you have got a pass or not. If you are a podcaster or vlogger, we want to welcome you into the podcast lounge at Edinburgh Yarn Festival. There will be more details coming on the next podcast of what you can expect, whether you are a podcaster, a vlogger or a podcast listener, a podcast viewer or just someone who wants to find out a little bit more. There's going to be more information for you next time. exploration. I am so excited you guys to talk about wool exploration. If this is the first time you're hearing about wool exploration I will put a link in the show notes at knitbritish.net so that you can find what we're doing. But essentially every month we're going to look at a different breed. We're going to knit a swatch. It doesn't matter if if the wool is double knit, four ply, chunky. It doesn't matter if it's dyed. It doesn't matter if it's woolen spun or worsted spun. As long as it is 100% of that breed that we're exploring, it's fine. Uh, Because wool is different. Wool is not homogenous. We're not going to get the same results with different breed yarns all the time and that is what is part of what's so wonderful about wool is its unique characteristics and it has been incredible to start this journey with you journey some of you hate that sorry Uh, (laughs) this path of wool exploration it's been nice to jump on that path with you and I think North Royalty was a great one to start with because it's quite a diverse wool as we will hear. Firstly I will say that our second month of exploration has already started and if you want to join in and you don't have to knit the whole year with us you can jump in and jump out as you wish but if you want to to try this month we are exploring Gotland and there's a blog post over at knitbritish.net 
It gives you all the details that you need. There is a thread in the Ravelry group uh, where people are already swatching and reviewing their different Gotland yarns. So the deadline for your reviews for the Gotland exploration is the 5th of February. So there's a wee bit of time to explore this one. Uh, I will say a, a quick bit of admin about wool exploration. Um, I have found it really difficult to collate the results of these reviews. Um, it's been quite a task, maybe because it's just the time of year as well and going back to work and lots of things happening. But it has been quite the task. And I I, lo I really do love that your reviews are on a Ravelry project page and I think that's really important because anyone stumbling into the Knit British Ravelry group will be able to click on those projects and see your swatch and see your review. But I'm wondering if we could also perhaps do something like a SurveyMonkey or a Google form if that's not too much to ask or not too much extra work but maybe just copy copy your review into that because that that would collate it um, for me <laughs> and it would give us charts and things I'll come back to you on this I'm just sort of floating it out there I certainly don't want to make wool exploration a big admin task for you either but having said that lots of you are creating your Ravelry project page with your swatch and with your review and then taking that review and also posting it in the Ravelry thread and some of you have also um, blogged about it as well so perhaps it's not too much of a stretch to think that that you might be amenable to, to doing that but I will come back to you on that one but that's aside because here we go with the North Ronaldsey wool exploration. I want to thank absolutely everybody who has swatched and reviewed and chatted about this uh, this yarn. There were 56 swatch reviews made into Ravelry projects but there was also discussion in the Ravelry group too and there were also some of you who revisited your swatches that you knit for the breed swatch along and and sort of did further exploration on your previous swatches. So I want to thank absolutely every single person. I'm going to try and name everyone as I go along today. But please don't feel bad if I've just forgotten or I've, I've not noted down everybody's names. But I just think you are incredible, intrepid wool explorers. Uh, you've done yourselves proud. So a little bit of geography first. North Ronaldsey is the northernmost of the Orkney Islands. It's about three square miles. Uh, you can get there by flying in from Kirkwall, but you have to fly to Orkney first. <laughs> or you can take the ferry. Um, North Ronaldsey is home to around 50 or 60 people at the moment. And as you can imagine, crofting is the main industry on the island as well as being home to our favourite seaweed-eating sheep. More on that in a moment. Uh, North Royalty was once the habitat of the now-extinct Great Auk, and it was also the habitat for the Atlantic walrus until the mid-16th century, at least. Can you tell who's been reading her Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. <laughs> North Royalty is a really rich area for bird life and bird watching during 
uh, the migration periods in particular. And a bird conservatory was built on the island. And this is also a self-catering accommodation too, just FYI. Um, I've done a little reading, or actually I've done a lot of reading on North Ronaldsea this week, and two written sources I came across are um, of particular interest. Uh, Philip Walling's book, Counting Sheep, and also Sheep in North Ronaldsea by Alexander Fenton. The latter is, a, is in the Journal of Studies of Folklife, and it was published in the late 60s, but it's so interesting to read about the history of the place and the sheep. Uh, if you want a good, all-round, fantastic resource, uh, the Orkney Sheep Foundation website is really rich in information, and that's www.theorkneysheepfoundation.org.uk. It's really excellent, and I hope you will uh, click on the link in the show notes and visit that uh, website later on. Now, before I go on, um, I'm going to say that uh, it's worth pointing out that North Royalty sheep aren't just found on North Royalty. Uh, in some ways, I guess, we shouldn't expect that because all Shetland sheep aren't in Shetland. Uh, but there is a little bit of a misconception sometimes that, you know, Soe sheep are only on St Kilda or Borre sheep are only... Um, you know, on Borre and things like that. So it's worth pointing out, and that question actually did come up in the Knit British Ravelry group. I suppose because North Atlantic sheep are so distinct for their habitat and that evolved diet that, that we think of them as only being there. But I will talk about why they're not just in North Atlantic as we go on. So the North Rollinsy sheep is an ancient breed. It belongs to the Northern European short-tailed sheep, of which... Other sheep like Shetland and Faroese and Gotland and Icelandic and Manx, etc. Uh, and other Northic, Northern Atlantic uh, breeds belong to. Uh, they're sometimes referred to as Viking sheep. And while it's not known how long sheep have been on North Ronsey, it is supposed that they've been there from at least the Iron Age. But there are um, hints that they may have been closely related to a much more ancient breed. It's very interesting, actually. You can read a bit more about that online. The Northland sheep are small. They're maybe, they maybe stand 16 to 18 inches tall. Uh, rams are usually horned. The yows can be horned. They can also have no horns. The fleece yield can be less than a kilogram at times. But what about that fleece? North royalties are dual coated and that means that they have a wool undercoat and a wool overcoat and the undercoat tends to be really fine and really soft and you know suitable for garments that you you want next to the skin whereas uh, the overcoat is a bit coarser um, and they ha it can have long guard hairs in it. Those kind of guard hairs uh, sort of protect the layers of wool I guess and protect the sheep from the cold and wet um, of that natural seashore environment. I don't know if the guard hairs evolved like um, uh, the the diet, but you know maybe somebody out there will be able to tell us that. Um, their fleece is in a whole range of natural shades, and it has been prized for its quality and for the colours that are available. As I said, the sheep on the island have lived on the foreshore since the 1830s and one of the big industries on the island in the years preceding that had been 
kelp making. And the kelp industry involved gathering seaweed and burning it tin ash and that was used as a source of soda and potash for glass and soap and dyes uh, and later stage um, for iodine and vast quantities of it were uh, shipped off North Ronsey in, uh, in the boom and at one point a tenth of Orkney's output of, of kelp was coming from North Ronsey. Kelp was also used as fertiliser um, for the sandy soil on the island and uh, when it was dried it, it was used for fuel too when other sources were scarce. When James Trail, an Edinburgh lawyer, purchased North Ronsey in 1727 he saw the potential for this kelp industry. As part of Crofter's tenancies they had to produce a certain amount of kelp a year and it apparently took 40 to 50 cartloads of wet kelp to make a tonne of the end product and it was burnt and then dried in kilns. As I say, it was a prosperous industry um, and uh, it brought population to North Ronsey too. And, you know, it was one of these industries that landowners were making money hand over fist. But by 1830, the boom was over. Um, Sanctions were lifted on being able to import cheaper alternatives from from abroad. And that was a devastating blow to Ireland communities who'd prospered from the industry. And it wasn't just Orkney and Shetland. In the Western Isles, lots of places um, relied on kelp making. Uh, John Trail was then the laird of, of North Royalty and he decided to put all this extra labour that he now had into improving the land and developing new ways of developing fields and crop rotation. And the sheep, I am sad to say, were looked upon as a bit of a nuisance during um, those improvements. Wool was a main priority at the time, but it, you know, the sheep were seen as marginal value. The now precious land... Uh, needed to be protected from them, from overgrazing and from their wandering. And so it was decided to banish them to the foreshore. And so they built a wall uh, around the island to banish them. (laughs) It sounds dreadful, doesn't it? 12 miles in length around the coast, that wall is, and two metres high. And it is grade A listed, which is quite incredible. It was built two metres high to deter jumping sheep. And the dike, the sheep dike, was completed in 1832. And so that it it proved an effective barrier, by the end of the 1830s, a sheep council had been formed. And that was made up of 11 elected crofters who were known as the sheepmen. Um, And the court is responsible for managing the grazing and fixing the, the dike when it needs to be rebuilt. And they are still overseeing things today. Around the time of the wall and the sheeps being banished to the foreshore, there were around 2,000 sheep. And with sheep on the other side of that wall, they quickly had to learn to adapt to their new habitat. And their diet became holy seaweed. And I, and I wonder, I'd like to know if, <laughs> if the crofters knew that was going to work, that they knew that they would adapt well to eating seaweed. Because, I mean, I've seen... Growing up in Shetland, I've I've seen sheep eating seaweed 
quite a lot, maybe not in the quantities of the North Wales. But I have seen them eat it as part of their diet. And I do wonder if this, you know, squaring off the land and putting the sheep on the shore, if it was a slightly risky business, did they know that they would survive or or what? I don't know. But they, they did have to quickly adapt. And so on the summer months, they graze in the low ebb and in the winter, their abundant food source is driven ashore in the storms and the wind and it's the red seaweed dulse that's said to be their most preferred and that's what comes up uh, in the storms. And this is what Philip Walling remarks on their diet and habitat. They can't eat grass for too long or they are poisoned by the copper in it, yet they cannot get all the annual sustenance they need from seaweed alone. And unlike other sheep, which eat by day and chew their cud at night, they feed according to the tides, lying up on the foreshore at high water and then following the ebbing tide onto the rocks to graze the exposed seaweed. They can even swim some of the most intrepid will plunge into the ebbing seawater and head for an outcrop to be the first to reach the tastiest fronds. They are as agile as goats, negotiating the slippery rocks, unafraid of the surging tide. And they are not entirely vegetarian. They have developed an odd partiality to the feet and legs of dead seabirds. When the new automatic revolving lighthouse at Dennis Ness was installed, it attracted flocks of birds which flew into it and were killed. Their carcasses proved irresistible to the sheep, which came from all around the shore to eat their legs. Although the sea sustains them, it is an exacting benefactor, for in winter, powerful Atlantic tides surge around the island, in contention with the calmer waters of the North Sea. And when a westerly gale blows against the running tide over the shallow, uneven seabed, many of the smaller, lower-lying islands, such as North Royal Sea, are often ringed by broken water and overblown by spindrift for days on end, confusing land and sea. During particularly violent storms, the little sheep have hardly any protection from the crashing waves that dyes them with salt water and spray, and even on calm days, the land is seldom free from a ruffling breeze. That paints a picture, does it not? Um, as I said, North Ron's sheep aren't just confined to North Royalty. In the 1970s, North Sea oil exploration brought the threat of oil spillages and contamination to the habitat and food source of the sheep. The Rare Breed Survival Trust, which was newly founded in 1973, went over to North Royalty in 1974, and its founder member was Joe Henson, MBE, and he was accompanied by his young son, Adam, who we now know as Rare Breed Champ Farmer and presenter of Country File. And they undertook this trip in order to make steps to protect the breed, and it was really the first big conservation project of the uh, Rare Breed Survival Trust. As part of that project, the Rare Breed Survival Trust bought an island, Lingaholm, off Stronsey in Orkney, and some 200 sheep were moved off North Ronsey, some to Lingaholm and some to the mainland, and they were distributed in small flocks kept by enthusiastic conservationists. And that proved to be a really wise decision because it's, you know, it really has helped. Um, to, to preserve the breed, although it's still vulnerable 
on the Rare Breed Survival Trust watch list. The island of Lingaholm was was sold um, by the RBST. So today, the only island flock um, are the ones that are on North Royalty now. And there are still flocks in the UK. But the only ones living on an island and surviving in that original habitat on that exclusive seaweed diet are the ones that remain on the island of North Royalty. And if you took part in our wool exploration, you might have found um, North Royalty wool from other places. And in particular, uh, one that was very popular with our explorers was the North Royalty wool from Lauriston Farm. And Lauriston Farm is a biodynamic farm in Suffolk. And on behalf of all the Knit British explorers, uh, Erica Eccles, Lisa Jane, emailed the farm to ask about the diet of their North Royalties because um, a few inquiring minds wanted to know if they still ate seaweed. And this is what she reported back. Um, I emailed the farm about the diet and this is what they said. Our sheep do graze the salt marsh, but their diet is a, is mainly made up of grasses, some from 600-year-old field. They eat a bit of seaweed on the seawall and in the salt marsh, but their diet is very different from that of the Ronnies on North Royal Sea. So that's interesting, but it's very interesting that they've kept seaweed as part of their diet as I mentioned there the the North Royalty sheep in North Royalty if they eat they can't eat too much grass because they end up with a copper toxicity poisoning but it's very interesting to know that that um that they that they graze in the salt marsh and they do have a little bit of seaweed in their diet those those ones in uh, Suffolk Back in North Royalty, the dike is still integral to the sheep's survival and maintaining the wall is of huge importance. As I said, if the sheep get through the wall and feed in the grass, they're susceptible to poisoning. Um, that's just the downside of the revolved diet. And while that population is now of, in, of North Royalty is now 50 or 60, that makes it really difficult to keep up the work on this wall. And as you can imagine, how a an island with no trees um, is affected by winter storms. The wall gets ravaged at times. So in the last few years, they have concocted the North Royalty Sheep Festival and where volunteers flock to North Royalty to enjoy a fortnight uh, there and um, re help rebuild the wall. And our own lovely Isla, Brit Yarn, was there in 2017. And I believe they, they created, they rebuilt at least 400 metres of the wall in just a fortnight. You know, rebuilding the wall from scratch in some places as well as, as uh, dry stone dike building, there are lots of other things like dancing and great community uh, events that you'd expect from, from an island. Um, it's really wonderful. And if you're interested at all, you should visit www.nrsheepfestival.com and watch out for, for announcements of, of, of the next... Um, Sheep Festival. Lots of you will have see also seen it 
on um, Countryfile when Adam Henson went back to North Royalty to help build the wall and, uh, and see the sheep. Right, I think that's enough history and enough geography. And I think you should go and put the kettle on and make another cuppa or maybe pour yourself another glass of 100 episode celebratory wine. And we'll have just a little interlude before I start talking about the wool. I'm a hot air balloon that could go to space With the air like I don't care, baby, by the way yeah, yeah. Because I'm happy Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof Because I'm happy Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth such a good wee tune that was the song that we used to use uh when we had the hapalongs going on it was maria and anna free's version of happy by pharrell <laughs> it's called the patty cake version <laughs> that was a little indulgence on my part so let's get on to these reviews i want to talk about my swatch first actually if i may be so bold Oh, gosh, <laughs> that is typical. I've just started to hear the dreadful soloist from the ministry next door kicking off. Oh, so <laughs> I hope this isn't going to be marred. <laughs> so I hand spun my North Royalty. I got some pencil roving from a yarn from North Royalty. So it came from the North Royalties on North Royalty. 
And firstly, um, I was really surprised that handling this fibre and spinning it did not give me the same reaction I'd had before when knitting with North Royalty, which was that it um, irritated my around my nose and mouth and sort of made me sneeze and made me itchy. So handling it for spinning didn't have that effect. Uh, I wasn't sure how to spin it uh, uh, for the best, actually, to begin with. I'm still a newbie spinner and I really ought to take a little bit more tuition. Um, but thanks to Elaine the Hill, uh, she pointed me in the direction of the Tour of British Fleece thread on Ravelry. And that gave me a chance to read how others were approaching it. And actually, you can spin it lots of different ways. And I ended up spinning it from the fold because the pencil roving was a bit slippy and a bit breaky. So that seemed to be the best way um, to spin it. And that sort of gave, gave a semi-worsted um, kind of a yarn, I guess. I'm never quite sure what spinning from the fold gives you. It's sort of a combination of woolen and worsted, I suppose. Um, and I ended up with a big double knit, maybe a big iron actually, weight yarn. And um, I thought I wanted to kind of, you know, my, my go-to, as you know, is to knit garter and then see what takes me. But I really wanted to try a little bit of lace in this, a little bit of chunky lace. And so I knit a lace swatch that was based on the Talavera vest that I'm also knitting at the moment in Shetland wool. Uh, that's a pattern by Amanda B. Collins. Um, but guess what? I ended up sneezing like a beezer. Um, so maybe, I don't know why it's okay to spin it, but different to knit it. Maybe I'm sh the guard hairs are shedding more when I'm knitting with it and that's what's irritating me. Hmm, I mean the roving does have a lot of guard hair in it, so does the knitted fabric. So maybe I need to to try a yarn that's got less guard hair. Um, the lovely Eric Eccles sent me a little bit of uh, the Lauriston Farm yarn and that... Maybe because it's darker, it's a peachy colour, it doesn't seem like it has as much guard hair in it, but maybe they're just sort of hidden there in the in the dark fibres. Um, but it feels different, so I will try that and try and remember and report back on that. Um, but uh, spinning this from the, the pencil roving, uh, surprisingly soft, and I was really quite happy with the resulting fabric being soft against the skin as well. So when I finished knitting my swatch, and it's a big old chunky swatch, um, it's a bit hard to wear where I normally wear it, on my shoulder or, uh, you know, at my uh, bra strap. Um, but unwashed, unblocked, it felt soft against my skin and it maybe had a prickle factor of three to five. And I want to, three out of five, sorry. I, I definitely knew it was there. Um, but I didn't wear it for a long time before I before I washed it and blocked it. So I didn't really give it a good old try. Uh, when I washed it and blocked it, uh, there was really good elasticity. 
and when it was dry, I wore it against my hip, as I say, it's a big old swatch. It was incredibly warm where the swatch was. I mean, that's what I felt more than anything. Um, I didn't feel a prickle on my hip, but when I wore the swatch around my wrist, I could feel a slight prickle, but it, I would say it's sort of degraded to a sort of two out of five, maybe, on the prickle factor. There is a good representation of those guard hairs on my knit fabric. Uh, and I really love that look. You know me, I love a textured, characterful yarn and I love how it looks in the chunkier lace. It makes me want to try. Oh, wonderful. We have we have building works going on as well now in the background. Fantastic. Half past seven at night, we've got... <laughs> We've got some sawing going on and we've got our drony lead singer at the church next door and we've got me talking about wool. <laughs> oh, the treats I bring to you lovely listeners for our 100th episode. Oh, you couldn't make that up. Um, and a cat in the background. Um, I, yeah, so I liked the chunkier lace and it made me think of making a Justina Lorakowska Maya shawl, which is a nice chunky weight shawl. And yeah, I think it, I think it would be fantastic for something um, plumpy and warm and something really insulating because this swatch was pretty warming. Um, I also revisited an old swatch because, as you know, I, I have a lot of swatches. I have done some swatch sessions and I have a lot of swatches where I have a washed swatch and then a swatch that has not been washed or blocked so you can kind of look and see, see the difference um, between them, if any. So I took my swatch of North Rollinsey from that um, pile and I washed it and blocked it again. And again, what an incredibly warming yarn this is. What an incredibly warming wool. And I think it's down to that dual coat, you know. My swatch was blocked quite aggressively. The fibre, I would say, has flattened quite a lot, but the guard hair um, in this, and this is a blacker Aran, I think, wool and spun, it has become a bit more pronounced, I would say, but now here's, you know, whether this is any indication or not, I don't know. When I, <laughs> the things I do for you, when I rub this older, more washed, more blocked, more worn swatch on my skin and around my face, it doesn't irritate me in the same way as the if I rub this new swatch over my... I don't even want to do it. <laughs> Maybe because it's been washed and blocked, those um, coarser fibres and those guard hairs have been really worn in. And although they're more pronounced, you can't easily pull them out. The the darker ones, the thicker hairs, you can't, they're not easily coming away from my revisited swatch whereas let's see if they yeah they're quite loose on the hand spun swatch whether I don't know whether that's much of an indication for 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 you but I seem to think that that makes it feel like those guard hairs will wear in they'll become more part of the fabric and I have had this I don't know what we call it swatch B the revisited swatch in my on my person and in my pocket all week and it has not pilled there is no I mean it's been in it's not only has it been on my hip 
unworn there. It's been in my pocket with my work keys, my big jailer's keys. There is no pillin. There's not been any ripping, which I'm surprised because my keys are quite sharp. Um, so I'm I'm really quite pleased with that. And I can imagine a fantastic big iron cabled cardigan in this yarn if I could be brave enough to knit with it. The colours that I have here are quite similar so that the hand spun that I used is a light grey and Swatch B, my revisited swatch, is a, a sort of a oatmeal-y, beige colour. Um, so I have been pleasantly surprised, certainly in the preparation and the spinning for me, that, you know, I can seemingly spin this without too much irritation. Sad that, you know, knitting with it gives me a bit of um, sneezing and, well, quite a lot, actually. Um, but incredible fibre. So never mind me. Let's hear what you think. I'm going to ream off these names. Uh, but again, please don't be disappointed if I'm not reading off your name. It, it, you know, again, I really do need to think about a better way to collate this information because I know that some people have done reviews in the thread and on their own blog and haven't done a Ravelry project. So this is this is the rub. So again, I totally apologise if I'm not going to read your name out, but I really appreciate the fact that everyone has done so much exploration in this um, this first month. So Rebecca72 Jones, Casty, Selden Susan, Abby G, Knitting Page, uh, Tigger B, Cat Smoke, uh, Phoebeon, The Skeen Heroine, Seaweed Sarah, Knitting Narna, Miss Goggins, Only Dreaming, So Cherry, Elstar, Kath USKA, Dry Gardening, uh, Southdown Yarns, Mariette694, Pamela Butler, Small Bear, Silver Cloud, Ramsey Baggins, Lindy Hopper, Del B, Poke to Goblin, Isla111, Flocule, Wishcatcher, Silver Spring Knit, Lady Grey, Erkia, Fine Fettle Fibres and Pretty Funk. Apologies for if, if you're going, but what about me? Uh, you too, you too. Um, <laughs> these are sort of your findings and I've tried to, to collate what everyone has said and rather than saying, you know, soft and squishy 56 times, I've tried to collate it a little bit. So first of all, I want to say a little bit about the brands and the yarns that are being used. Most people using Blacker or a yarn from North Royalty or um, Lauriston Farm. There were also reviews done in Nude U, Isle of Oskeri, uh, Queen of Pearls, and I think also Countess of Blaze, as well as the Little Orkney Dye Shed. Um, so those are all the different yarns that are being used. Please go into the Wool Exploration North Royalty thread and click on Projects, and then you will see all of the swatches that I'm talking about and you'll be able to click and see uh, what the yarns are and finer details. So the hand squish grab, firm, not soft, with coarse hairs. Um, another person saying firm, bounce in the ball with smooth, almost soft feel, almost. <laughs> Creamier than expected. The hand soft squish has a rustic feel, bit of a crunch, a light halo of guard hairs. Someone else saying the initial glance was of a beautiful undyed grey. The wool in the skein felt soft. Ply was obvious. Yarn looked plumpy. 
The ball of yarn was uh, at first firm and dense overall, a rustic handle, a soft, coarse handle. So the hand squish grab there, I mean, the general feeling is that this is a bouncy yarn. Uh, some people with smooth plies, I'm guessing those are ones with less guard hairs. Others, majority, sound like they have more guard hair, don't they? I get the, f from the feeling from that um, that there's not too much negativity. I, I didn't see too many itchies. <laughs> uh, so some of the initial thoughts. Hairy yarn, lots of guard hairs. Great for garments, cable and colour work. Beautiful luster, someone said. Now that is interesting. Dry, crisp, firm are other initial thoughts of this yarn. Uh, softer and silkier than I was expecting. Again, we have these dimensions that are so different. That is particularly talking about four ply, which most of the yarns that were tested were double knit and above, I think, with just a few four plies. Uh, first thoughts, uh, good for stout outerwear, good for workwear, sweaters, jackets. Loved the faint sheepy smell. I love that you guys go with all the senses. So the, the knitting experience, here are some key findings. Softer when knitting. The yarn sheds whilst knitting. And then they say in brackets, don't wear black. <laughs> Uh, someone else found it surprisingly smooth, but doesn't really flow through the fingers and feels quite dry to the hand. The unwashed swatch was firm with nice stitch definition. Uh, someone else finds slight lanolin feeling. Actually, quite a few of you found that there was a lanolin feeling on your hands and on the fabric. The yarn sticks to itself in the ball. Now, that sounds to me like it might be good for colour work. I don't know about you. We like a sticky wool for colour work. Uh, guard hairs are more obvious as it runs through your fingers, but not unpleasant. Nicely crisp. Uh, a few guard hairs shed as you knit. That's another one who realised that. Someone else says, this is a lovely wool to work with. It slides through my hands. Uh, without being too slippery. Whilst knitting, the yarn feels crispy and reliable. Oh, I love that you've had the texture, the sauruses out, you guys. Um, it had a sheepy smell and a, a lanolin feel. So that's a good indication of the knitting experience for, for many of you. Um, but how does it feel in the, the wash block wear? Everyone was knitting swatches. A couple of you knitted hats and I think Louise Southdown Yarns is knitting a cardigan. But for some of the swatch knitters, oh, I should say, lots of people on the first wash uh, were uh, washing by hand and a lot of people on the second wash block and where I noticed were putting it in the washing machine. Love this kind of intrepid um, exploration and to see how different uh, the effects might be. Um, barely noticed it, wore it pinned inside my jumper, softer where it had rubbed, perhaps um, smoothing down the guard hairs, which my swatch B, I would say that's, 
that's definitely something that happened with mine, uh, was I was very aware of the swatch on my shoulder and in my waistband, but soon forgot about it on my foot. Oh, boot socks. Boot socks might be good. Um, after the first wear test, I would recommend the wool for socks, blankets and sweaters, but too prickly uh, for a shawl or a scarf. When I uh, removed the swatch from the blocking mats, there was a light prickly feeling, um, but it resulted in no reddening of the skin and there was no after effect. Someone else said, I've never used a yarn that changed so completely in the feeling after blocking and especially wearing... And another comment in how much softer it became. And that, again, was a four-ply. Um, so interesting in the density of the fabric, how that might play a part. As I say, some in the wash block wear test two were popping it in the washing machine on a 30-degree washing cycle. Uh a less shedding after the second wash block. A lot of you agreed on that. Smoothing of guard hairs. Lots of you agreed on that. Uh, with aggressive blocking, uh, it became drapey uh, or drapier. So that's something to think about in terms of what you want this yarn to do in, in a garment. And many other people commenting on how much warmer the swatch was when being worn. So what is happening in that second wash block and wear? What will happen the more you wear that item and that that garment that you might make in North Royalty wool is that those guard hairs will become more and more smooth and the wool element will bloom and get warmer and woolier the more you wear it. The guard, remaining guard hairs after washing created an initial prickle, but much less than the first wear test. So quite a few people finding those results. Uh, as I said, we had some other people like myself who revisited a swatch from the Breed Swatch Along uh, or other swatches to to try out this this yarn swatch again and give it another another test. I think uh, Kath USKA, Lindy Hopper and Wishcatcher were among those who'd visited their swatches for a further wash block and wear. Uh, Lindy Hopper, she says she felt it hers. She says endless cups of tea have been placed on it. My plate full of Christmas dinner sat on it. It has been sat on, leaned on, slept on, and put hot. Uh, when I put hot cups in it, they did sink in a bit to leave ring marks. But these bounced back once the cups were cleared away. It's absorbed the heat just fine with no damage. So that's interesting. Kath. Uska, or USKA, she was another one who revisited her swatch and she washed and blocked it again and she said there are no pilling or other visible signs if I rub the swatch against itself. The fabric seems durable, but it still has a nice drape, even in the iron weight. I It must be wonderful in fingering, which we've already sort of suggested is a bit drapier from the reviews. She says the iron weight would make a great cardigan or pullover for outerwear, but I can also imagine beautiful mittens. That's great. Thank you for revisiting your swatch, Kath. And the other person who uh, revisited their swatch was uh, Carol Wishcatcher. Her swatch was knit in in a, in a yar North Royalty yarn from Black Bat Rare Breeds. And she said, wash block test 
three. I didn't pin the swatch this time, just soaked it and laid it out to dry. It lost its shape a bit. It is now nine by eight at its widest. And I think it was nine by eight and a half, I think, originally. And it became softer and fluffier after washing. I wore it next to my skin on my shoulder for a few hours, but this time I did find it scratchy and I had to take it out. So either I've become less tolerant or the swatch has become hairier or possible, possibly a combination of both. That's really interesting. I would like to see the ply on that original yarn to see if it was slightly loosely spun or if it was a more plumpy ply. It might be that um, due to the, the spin that the guard hairs are more prickly on further washing, I don't know. Um, but that's really interesting. Thank you so much to Carol for, for revisiting your swatch. And really, you know, I, I know that this is, hasn't been a perfect um, collaborative review. And as I say, I'm going to make make sure that we I do it better next time. But, you know, your chat in the thread and the inspiration going on here and the ideas button between other people like well, what what you know won't it be great for this or i can make this or you know it's it's just been lovely and i it makes me feel quite emotional because this is what i love about knit british is that it's a something that we share together and it's something that we you know we're we're learning together and we're exploring together there's no right or wrong review as you've seen our north royal sea has been thought of as still prickly and and uh, a bit dry um, for some and for others it's soft and lustrous so we all have different opinions and it all shows that again all breed wool is not the same um, uh, so it's it's been wonderful and as I say it makes me feel quite um, lump in the throat um, to be part of this with you guys. I just can't thank you enough for the kind messages that you've sent me and how you've shared this on social media and how you've enjoyed it in the group thank you so much as i say you don't have to uh, take part in every month of wool exploration uh, you can dip in and out as you wish the rest of this month is all about knitting gotland then we're on to ryland and then we're on to jacobs in april and uh, I'll maybe I'll reveal the next four breeds um, soon so you can get your wool exploration into gear for the second quarter of the year. Before we go, it wouldn't be uh, a celebration without a giveaway. And my goodness me, we've got an incredible pattern giveaway for you for the 100th episode. Sophie McCain, aka Unicorn Designs, has a range of patterns for kids, adults and the home. And Sophie has designed in British yarns such as Kettle Yarn Company, Buchel, Blacker, and you can see her designs in her Ravelry shop. There's a link in the show notes. She says, my emphasis is on striking graphic designs that combine colour in unique ways. I like seamless construction, simple knits and quick results. And my goodness me, her designs are incredible and encompass all of that and more. And Sophie has offered incredible prizes to Knit British listeners for this 100th episode. One lucky winner will win her back catalogue of unicorn designs. That's incredible. Another winner will win all of Sophie's designs, which are going to be released in 2018. 
Plus, there are three runners-up for a single pattern of their choice. And I have opened up a price thread in the Knit British Ravelry group. There are instructions on how to enter there. It's That's amazing. So, in the meantime, visit Sophie's online places in her Unicorn Designs Ravelry group and join her mailing list and visit her on Instagram too. And join me in thanking Sophie for an amazing parcel of prizes. The Knit Bittish 100 episodes Drink, Eat, Chat, Knit is happening on Saturday and there are events happening in Edinburgh, Bath, London and York. Uh, Why not, if you can't make it to Bath, London or York, grab a whip, grab a drink and take a picture on social media to celebrate uh, with us for the 100 episodes Drink, Eat, Chat, Knit. You can use the hashtag KB100DECK and we are working on a way to live stream uh, the event in Edinburgh as well. So if you hang about my social media on Saturday the 13th, we're going to try and make that available and try and make it available after as well. Uh, I this is not in my hands this is in the hands of the lovely fella so we're going to try our best if not, if we can't manage it uh, and the Wi-Fi isn't up scratch I will definitely be trying some Instagram um, stories and things like that I want to take a moment also to thank all of the people who have donated prizes for the Edinburgh celebration I've posted some pictures on Instagram Uh, We need to thank them. So if you'd like to visit our kind prize donators, you can do so by clicking on the links. But my heartfelt thanks to The Knitting Goddess, Balaka Yarns, Louise Tilbrook, Die Ninja, Ripples Crafts, Meadow Yarn, Pom Pom Quarterly, Brit Yarn, New Leaf Yarns, Gardening Witch Designs, Edinburgh Yarn Festival, the Loveliest Yarn Company, Juniper and Ginger, Owl About Yarn, Arnold Culliford Knitwear, Werewolves, Whistle Bear, Yarns from the Plain, Uselan, The Dulton Flock, Fluff, Northern Yarn, Ginger Twist Studio, And anyone else I've forgotten to mention, the link will be on the um, show notes at www.nitbritish.net. Ep hyphen 100. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated. And I can't wait um, to hand out the door prizes on on Saturday. Uh, Also, thanks to those who donated prizes for our fringe deck events that are happening in Bath. London and York hopefully we'll be able to join up with those guys as well also using that hashtag KB100DECK on social media well that is about it now for this episode you are going to have a longer episode now that we're that we're down to monthly I feel like this has been slightly chaotic with circular saws and singers and cats in the background uh, and what have you but (laughs) I hope you managed your way through it and thank you for managing your way through all 100 episodes and I enjoy doing this podcast I probably would still record it if nobody listened (laughs) but 
the fact that you do listen and you do take time to tell me that you've listened and you follow me on social media and you share the podcast and you subscribe and you review it on iTunes and all of those things. All of those things are the reason why I keep on doing it and why I, you know, it just heightens why I love doing it so much. And when I get the opportunity to meet you, um, that's that's really special too. So thank you so very much for these 100 episodes and for being flagstones around my hearth here at Knit British. I will be back in February next month for episode 101. Until then, take very good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Knit British podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. You can email me louise at knitbritish.net. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at knit underscore British and I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star now, remember? This California dude is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place.
this is to say congratulations for your 100th episode. So proud of you. You are amazing. The British wool industry is so much enriched because you are here and long may you reign. Here's to the next 100, Louise. Keep on going and knit British.